broken for you, and this cup is my blood. And so he's telling us what he wants us to remember. He's wanting us to remember the cross. And so we're going to do that here today. We're going to look at Luke 23, and I'm just going to read through it, kind of just thought by thought, making a few comments along the way to help you uh, point out the important parts. But the goal behind this is to get your mind raptured around this bread and this cup. And to allow yourselves to be really just caught in at this moment. To really be able to focus. So that when we pass out the bread and cup, we remember this night, this Good Friday, what Christ accomplished on this night. That your mind would be thinking about it. Really prepared to remember Jesus. Because this is what he asked us to do. He didn't say... Take this thing so you'll be saved. Take this thing so I'll be re-crucified. Take this. He said, take it so you remember me. And you remember what I did. And how your salvation was accomplished. So let's walk through this passage. We're going to walk through all of chapter 23 of Luke. I'm just going to read it to you. Making a few comments along the way. But to just allow ourselves to be caught up in this section. Jesus has been arrested already. And now we begin in chapter 23 of Luke to look at his trial, the sham of a trial. And just look at verse 1 with me. I'm just going to start reading through this. It says, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and, and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. So Jesus has been taken. It's night. He, at night he was arrested and he was brought before the chief priests. And now this chief priest and a crowd of people have ushered him before Pilate. Pilate was the, the ruler, the governor over Judea, which would include Jerusalem. And they bring him up there, and I want you to notice what they accuse Jesus of, of misleading the nation, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he's the Messiah, he's a king. And, 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 and those, remember those three things as you read the story. Remember what they accuse Jesus of. It will be important later in the story. Pilate, who's this governor, he asks him, are you the, are you, you know, who are you? you, you know, and, and, and what does Jesus say to him at this moment? You know, he, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? ESV has it, you said so. You have said so. Probably the best way to translate that is he says, as you have said. In essence, yes. Pilate doesn't see anything wrong with him. He's been declared innocent by Pilate. Pilate doesn't know what to do. These Jews want him killed. So Pilate uh, does what any good politician does. He passes the buck. Look at verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he had learned that he had belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at length, and he made no answer. The chief priest and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arraying him in splendid clothing. He sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. 
So, right, Pilate says, hey, he's Galilean, because Herod was the ruler over the northern part of Israel, and that's where Jesus was from. And so Pilate says, hey, Herod's in town. This isn't my problem. Let's put it under this governor. And so he sends him over to this governor. Herod is like, hey, this is exciting. Maybe he'll do a miracle. This will be great. I'm looking forward to meeting this guy. He comes in. He questions him. Jesus is silent before Herod. But what his soldiers do, this is where Jesus is beaten and scourged the first time. This is where they whip him. This is where they put the robe on his bloodied back. This is where they pull his beard out. This is where they stick the crown of thorns on his head. This is that first beating. Remember these beatings. They'll become important later in the story. He's beaten. He's got the the robe on him. He's sent back to Pilate. Pilate, he's innocent. They sent him back to mock him, pretending dressing him up like a king because they see no threat in him. And Pilate doesn't know what to do now, but the interesting thing is that Pilate and Herod became friends. The reason why they were enemies is all those guys, the governors in the Roman Empire, all competed against each other. You know, it was a very uh, adversarial kind of setup, but, but Jesus unites them. And what's interesting about their unity is uh, they're unified around the innocence of Jesus. So the legal system has declared him innocent. Jesus is now before Pilate. He's got the robe on him. He's been, he's been beaten. He's had his beard pulled out. He's got the crown of thorns on his head. He's back in Pilate's lap. Notice what Pilate does in verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. The second time Jesus has been beaten now. He's going to get beaten a second time. On this particular time, now they've got to rip the, the robe off his back. You could imagine the pain of that, that moment because the, the robe would have dried to his back. And They pull it off and they beat him again. You have to remember, this is important that he's beaten. It becomes very important in the story. So, so hold on to that. But Pilate finds no charge. I think, or no, no, no truth to the charges. I think Pilate is trying to pull Jesus to the to the point of death, hoping it would just dial back the, the religious leaders. You know, if they see him completely bloodied and to the point of death, maybe they'll stop. But notice what happens, verse 18. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release us, release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him, right? I will beat him, don't worry, I will torture him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed so that Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Now first, one little textual comment. You will notice that many of you are missing verse 17 in your Bible. 
You may or may not have noticed that you went from 16 to 18. If you have a King James, you have a verse 17, or if you have a New King James, but, but uh, a lot of other translations are missing verse 17. The reason why you're missing verse 17 is because when they originally translated the English Bible, they used probably not the best text, good text, but, but in, in some of the, the texts that they used when they originally translated it into English, there was a verse, a line in Luke that said, and Pilate had to release one of them because it was the custom of the Passover. That was in one of the manuscripts. When they originally translated it into English, they gave it a verse number. In the 1800s, they found some older manuscripts and discovered that verse actually wasn't there. So the texts that are trying to be a little bit more accurate will pull out that verse. The reason why that verse is probably added is that some, some, some scholar wanted to put a little footnote in there to find out why is, why is Pilate releasing a soldier or a, a criminal? Like, what would, in his right mind, make him do this? Well, it was his custom. He always released one. It's kind of being a generous guy. At the original time of the writing, everyone knew that, so there was no need to put that note in there. As years went on, they added that note. But some of the translations removed that verse. You might have a little footnote about it in your Bible, but that's, that's why you're missing verse 17. But here's the situation. Pilate now has this man Barabbas. Now, you remember I told you to remember the charges against Jesus. The charges against Jesus, basically, is that he's a danger to society and he's an insurrectionist. What was Barabbas arrested for? Murder and insurrection. This guy's a danger to society and he's an insurrectionist. Two bad things, right? You don't want to release a murderer and somebody who could get the Romans to come after you. Because he's an insurrectionist. So they got a real murderer, insurrectionist right there. Jesus, who is incredibly loving. He's God. And they say, he's the threat. And this guy who is a threat is not the threat. They're all goofed up. That's what hatred does. You can't see what's right. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. That's what wickedness does. And so they, they ask for this guy. Pilate is like beyond himself. Three times, he's like, guys, let me just beat him. No, we want him dead. So notice what Pilate does. He's delivered Jesus over to their will. Jesus, I love that saying because their will was to kill him. Jesus delivered himself to the will of the Father, and the Father's will was to crush the Son. So God's will is still being carried out. So here's Pilate now. He turns him over. So now we have the crucifixion. Let's look at what happens now with the crucifixion of Jesus. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed, a great, they followed him a great multitude of the people and of the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, these days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never bore and the breast that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do to these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So Jesus now has been beaten to the point where he cannot carry the cross. He is to the point of death. Remember that. It will be important later. He's so weak that this guy, Simon, who we know nothing of, has no idea what he has been commissioned to do. 
help Jesus carry the cross that actually will be the instrument of Simon's salvation. He has no idea what he's doing. He's going to help Jesus. Incredible man. That's all we know about him. But notice these women are crying as they're seeing Jesus tortured and, and, and going up to the cross. And what does Jesus do? He says, guys, do not look at the cross. I want you to look past the cross for a moment to my second coming. You're looking at the wrong thing. Your eyes are so fixated on the suffering of this moment, you have missed what this moment means. What this moment means is that salvation is being brought to the world. And if you do not embrace this, when the judgment of God comes, it's going to make this moment look like a walk in the park. If you don't see what this moment means, women, you're crying for the wrong thing. You should be crying out for salvation. Because if you don't cry out for salvation, judgment's going to come upon you for not embracing this moment. And you will literally be asking God to crush you in an avalanche. So that you won't have to face his wrath when you see it come. You think, this is not bad, women. What is bad is the day that this points to. See, when Jesus dies, he will die to save mankind from their sin. And there will be no other way of escape from the wrath of God other than through Jesus. And if you try to create your own path and your own way around Jesus, when that day comes, you would rather be crushed in an avalanche. That will seem preferable to you over what you see coming from the sky. Jesus at that moment was not looking at the cross solely as the only moment of his life. He was looking at what the cross was going to reveal, that he is the judge of the living and the dead. And if you embrace him, there's life. And if you don't, there's condemnation. Women, don't mourn for this cross. Mourn for your souls. Because the day that's coming is way worse than this day, is what he says. Let's keep going. Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Now this little section of Scripture is Luke showing us all of the Scripture passages fulfilled right there at the cross. There's a whole bunch of them. In Isaiah 53, 12, we read that the Messiah will be numbered among the transgressors. Jesus hung there between two thieves. Psalm twenty two eighteen says that they will divide his garments and cast lots upon them, and that's what happened. They were dividing his garments, casting lots. In Psalm 69, 21, it says the Messiah will be given vinegar to drink, and that's exactly what Luke said happened. In Psalm twenty-two, seventeen, they'll look upon the Messiah with scorn, right? Save yourself if you're the Messiah. And in Isaiah 53, 12, it says he will bear the sin of many and make intercession for them. What did Jesus do when he hung there? Father, punish me in their place, he says, because they're ignorant of their sin. 
They have no idea that they are mocking God himself. They have no idea what they're saying. So when he said, Father, forgive them, you can insert in there, Father, punish me for their rebellion. Pour it out on me for their sin. Let me absorb your wrath so that they might be saved. That's what he prays on the cross. That's what he prays. It's a powerful moment. And Luke is saying, listen, all these scriptures were fulfilled. He did exactly what the Bible said he would do. Look at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus, and he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise, right? The one is saying, okay, get us off here if you're really the Messiah. And this man says, do you understand? You're about ready to die. You're about ready to stand face to face with God. Do you understand? And we deserve to go to hell, I believe is what he's saying. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he says, in essence, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, oh, I'm going to have more than mercy on you, man. I'm bringing you to paradise. Today, you close your eyes and hear And the next thing you smell will be heaven. You're coming with me. Now, think about this. As he's hanging there, all along the way, he's preaching the gospel. Women, judgment's coming. Don't weep over this. Soldiers, Father, forgive them. Guy next to me, yes, you're going to get mercy. You see, this is the love of the cross. This is the love that is really at play here. This is a marvelous love, and I think this is what Jesus wants us to reflect on. And before we finish the remaining verses, I think we should reflect on this great love. I think we should take a moment and actually think about the wondrous love of Christ that has actually did all of this so that he could say, Father, forgive you. Forgive us. I'll bear the wrath for your sin. So would you just bow your head and just reflect on this love before we finish this passage. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, beneath God's righteous power. 
Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said father into your hands I commit my spirit and having said this he breathed his last now when the centurion saw what had taken place he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Darkness came over the land at the brightest time of the day, signifying the wrath of God coming upon him for our sin. It was sufficient. We know it was sufficient because at that moment, God ripped that veil in two and said, come, come, come to my temple. You are now welcome. Your sins have been forgiven. Jesus knew it was sufficient. And so he presented himself, said, take me now. It's done. It is finished. And the first missionary moment of the cross occurred when a Roman Gentile soldier saw it and said, this man was innocent. Right? The first post-cross evangelistic moment, a Gentile being saved. The crowds went home in sorrow. The people who followed him from Galilee were amazed in a weird sort of way and stood back and couldn't figure out what was happening. But in verse 50, it says, There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb, and cut in a stone where no one had ever yet been laid. 
It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to their commandment. Crucifixion in that day sometimes could take days before someone would die. Sometimes they would take so long because it was designed in such a way to torture you, to, but yet prolong your death. Sometimes soldiers would have to break the legs of the people who were hanging there in order to expedite their death. The Bible says that, that no bones of Jesus were broken in the course of this. That was the prophecy and that was true. So how did Jesus die so quickly? It's because he was beaten to the point of death. His body was right there at the doorstep of death. God allowed him to endure that so that he could die on that day and literally enter the grave so that on the third day he could be raised from the dead. So even that beating was part of the process of expediting the death process so that he could hang there and die. And he did. Joseph, Jewish man who was actually a member of the council, he was a member of those people, part of that court, that kangaroo court, and he said, this isn't right. I'm not for this. And he backed out, and he, 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 was, he had nothing to do with it. He asked for the body. He laid it in, in the tomb, wrapped it up. The women saw it there. They're witnesses of him being there. But they couldn't do the burial spices because the Sabbath was about ready to begin. So they prepared the spices and would have to wait till Sunday to come put those spices on the body. That's the death. Jesus says, remember this death. This is what I want you to think about when you partake of the table. This is the stuff. When we say, remember me, it isn't just a slogan. Remember, remember that Jesus endured it to the end. He saw this thing through. He never abandoned the will of God. He never once, ever once defended himself. Never once turned himself and, and, and used his power to execute justice for the moment. He was fully trusting that God has a plan, the Father has a plan, and that plan is perfect, no matter what it costs him on earth. Jesus literally paid it all. He took the full punishment. And our sins are completely forgiven. And this is the hope for everyone in the world. So, we're going to partake of the table. And this is what I want you to remember tonight. This cross. Those who are helping to distribute the elements, would you come forward? You know the way we do it here. If you're visiting with us here, the way we partake of the table. We'll pass out the bread. We'll pass out the cup, and we will let you take of those elements at your leisure over the next two songs. And I would ask you to reflect on them. When you get the bread in your hand, just realize Jesus hung there and gave up his life. He took those beatings. He took those scourges so that he could be brought to the point of death and then bear that wrath of God in your place. And he shed his blood so that you could be completely forgiven. And when you hold that cup, you can remember that. There is complete and total forgiveness. Remember that as we partake of this. At the close of our two songs, I'll close this in prayer. But would you join me in prayer right now? Father, I thank you for this great and wondrous love. 
The love in which Jesus laid down His crown and hung in a cross for, on our, for our place, in our place. That He took our sin, the consequences of it. And as He hung there, He hung there as an evangelist, praying for mercy upon those who are trying to hurt Him. Those who are mocking Him, He's praying that, 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 that mercy would be given. And God, it's amazing to me that right then and there, one of those people that he prayed for, that he bore the wrath of, professed his faith at that moment, you are innocent, you're the Son of God. That centurion that Jesus prayed for, we see the fruit of that prayer. God, may these thoughts be in our minds today as we partake of this table and allow us to be filled with remembering you the way you want to be remembered. In Christ's name, amen.